0: That was great, love it. Well, good morning, family, and happy Fourth of July. I. This is a good day to celebrate our country, and um, and so before I get in. In talking, uh, t- teaching from the scripture here, I do want to make a mention of uh, what a. What an amazing gift God has given us to live in this country. You know, um, with, we have flaws, um, but we have done more for the benefit of the world than any other country in the time that we've existed. And the United States is the freest, has been the freest country to worship God, to, uh, to be a Christian, than any country in the world. Now, there are countries right now where you can worship God certainly free, freely, but there are a lot of restrictions in a lot of countries. You, there's not a nation in Europe that you could say is uh, as free as the United States to worship as a Christian. I'm not saying that there is no, aren't any churches there, but there's, there's restrictions of speech, same as in Canada. There's places, even Mexico, if you're an evangelical Christian, there is persecution, people don't know that. Um, Asia, Africa, there is just no place like the United States when it comes to the freedom uh, of Christian worship and uh, to express ourselves in any way that we want to. And I know that's, uh, that's um, a subject of attack right now I know that there are those who would like to suppress that to make uh, hate speech illegal. Of course, it always depends on who thinks it's hate. And, uh, and anything that comes from the scriptures will be eventually considered hate if we ever cross that barrier. And uh, I'm so grateful for the First Amendment. Finding Jesus was easy in this country. As a follower of Jesus myself, it wasn't there weren't any barriers for me to cross, other than uh, some family members that were thinking I got a little crazy because I accepted Christ. There's no real barriers in this country for me, hearing the gospel. You know, the message is preached in the you know on the airwaves, and. Uh, In some places, there's a church on every corner. And many of those churches preach the gospel. What a gift God has given us. You know, America has this concept, and it was birthed with this idea of freedom. Freedom. Freedom over over safety. Freedom over safety. The choice... and choose to be free was a choice that we made in spite of the risk factor in doing it. Our forefathers made that choice, that we we would risk safety so that we could have freedom. That is a biblical principle, a biblical principle. You know, he who the Son has set free is free indeed, Christianity is about freedom. It's about freedom from the kingdom of darkness. It's about freedom from the bondages of sin. It's about true freedom at the risk of safety. Because as a Christian, especially in many places in the world, most places in the world, in fact, but even even for us in America, not talking about the issues of persecution, But it is a risk when you say fully yes to God. You will find freedom. But God, God is not guaranteeing safety. In fact, if you follow Jesus, you can be guaranteed that you'll be put in risky situations and places if you follow him wholeheartedly. And so in that way I think one of the dangers that our nation has been go- coming through is this idea that safety is worth worth a little bit of freedom being lost that as long as we're safe you and you have to comply and lose some of your freedom it's okay you're losing some of your freedom for a little bit of safety. That's a dangerous role. Many nations have gone down that road. In the end, is oppression, and neither freedom or safety. So I pray for our country. I pray that our nation never, you know, crosses that line, because let me tell you something, you're never totally safe, and no one can guarantee it. But you give up your freedoms you'll never give them back they'll never give them back to you because the oppression of power is um well it's 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 so tempting human beings get a little bit of power and they take advantage of it that's the way it works and our forefathers were concerned about that they left that kind of oppression many of those who first came to this to this uh, land left that kind of oppression and didn't want to live under it and said I'll give up some of my safety as long as I'm free. And uh, I think that's a stand that we should take. That is a biblical stand in in our lives and never give it up. Fight for it when we have to. Well, can we pray for our nation? Then i will pray and we'll open the word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you I personally thank you that, Lord, I got to grow up here in America, in the United States of America. Lord, uh, the freedoms and the places and the joy and, Lord, it was in this this land that I found you, that you reached out and grabbed a hold of my heart, and uh, I found salvation and hope and life and freedom. And so, Lord, I I pray for our nation. I pray for those who are in leadership. I pray, Lord, for those who have even um, determined, Lord, harm to our nation, some out of ignorance and some out of intentionality. Lord, I pray that you would thwart that which would oppress us. Stop, Lord, all of that movement in its tracks. And, Father, I pray that you would bring to our nation the only hope and that is a revival Lord a full blown work of your spirit I ask that you'll do something in our nation greater than you've ever done in the past we've seen we've seen revivals in this nation Lord do something even greater than ever do a new work in this nation bring us to Lord cause us to be a people who fall down and worship you the only true and living God I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, our um, our study has been in the book of Joshua, and the book of Joshua is a is a book of war, if you would, because what happened is God had two things He was determining He was going to accomplish. In the children of Israel going into the Promised Land, the first one was the fulfill a promise. That's why it's called the Promised Land. He gave a promise to Abraham, and that this the land that, that he had mapped out, had uh, Abraham had had crossed and and walked, that he was going to give them him that land and to his children forever. That 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 was going to be the case. And his children have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and um, Abraham's children, that is. And God had determined to bring them into the promised land, but there was a an occupier in the land, and that was the the, the people, the Canaanites, the people of Canaan, as it 's called, and they they were living there, but they were a wicked people, s- v- sinful, horrible, and uh, they, they had, they, they had uh, a, a worship that sacrificed their own children. And they would burn them to death and, and, uh, and kill them and mutilate them. And that had been going on for years. Thousands and thousands of children had been killed and mutilated by these people. And God let it go on and on. You say, well, God, when, well, God, God had determined there would be a point. If they wouldn't repent, if they would not turn to him, then they would be annihilated. So he, kind of like um, killing two birds with one stone, he is going to bring the children of Israel into the land, and he's going to use them to destroy and drive out the people that were living in the land, the Canaanites. That was how, that was what was going on in this process. And Joshua who is now the leader instead of Moses, and he's going to bring the people into the land. Now, we're in the fourth chapter, and I can tell you in advance, we're not even going to get to them going into battle until the sixth chapter. So for five chapters, God is preparing them for battle. Say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, in the New Covenant, In our day God isn't preparing us for physical battle he's preparing us for spiritual battle because nothing is accomplished in our life spiritually not even even in our life totally nothing is fully accomplished without the spiritual foundation for that to happen and in many cases, it's spiritual warfare that we have to press through to get the victories that God would want to give us and the blessing that God would want to give us. As he's blessing the the, the, the people and the children of Israel coming into the promised land and fulfilling a promise for them, he is also working on our behalf and teaching us how to receive the promises of God ourselves. And receiving all that god has for us so he's requiring of us he prepares us just like he prepared joshua and if you look at what god has been doing with joshua and the children of israel before they ever get there we can see some principles that are essential for our spiritual growth as well so in chapter one joshua uh is told the leader is is told to be strong and courageous and he says to him I want you to be strong and courageous, and then he tells him what he needs to do so that he can be strong and courageous as a leader and, and, and fulfill his calling. And he says, I want you to meditate on my word and meditate on it day and night um, to speak it, to speak the promises, speak the word of God, and to obey the things that I've said, and you build a foundation. So you can be strong and courageous. And right at the beginning, he wants to give give this foundation to, to Joshua that he is founded on God's word, lives out God's word. So he's prepared to go into battle. And that is the same thing for us. We will have spiritual battles. We will have spiritual. We will enter into spiritual warfare, for we wrestle not against princip- I mean, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world. That is a reality that we face as followers of Christ. That we live. That that this world is more than just what we see. There is more than that. There is beyond the visible. There is more than, than meets the eye. And so He has called us in, to being prepared for that. And how do we do that? We get the Word of God in us. We think about it. We meditate on it. We live with the Word of God because the Word of God is powerful and, and strong. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, the Word of God is, such a, is a tool. It's inspired by God. And we take God's Word, the Bible, and we live it out. We, we learn it. We, we digest it. And as it becomes part of our life, we become strong and courageous as we face whatever things that are challenges that we face in our life. Chapter two, um, it jumps into a kind of a strange story. It's about a Canaanite prostitute, and uh, the story of this Canaanite prostitute that the two spies uh, that go into Israel to spy out the land meet, and she reveals to them that the enemy that they are going to face the the, 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 in, the, in Jericho, the people in Jericho are fearful. They are they are afraid of the children of Israel. The children of Israel that were coming, their parents didn't understand that very well. They thought that they were they were fierce and ready to destroy them, but all along they were fearful, and now they're facing. An enemy that's frightened to death. We can learn something from that too. The kingdom of darkness is a kingdom filled with terror, anxiety, fear. It is, it is, it is filled. That, that kingdom, it's not just that it, it, it promotes it, it does, but it lives it. Understand the demons, Satan himself, is in constant anxiety and fear themselves. A lot lot of times we'd get a different picture of that kingdom. We think that they're a a strong, evil kingdom, but they are in fact a fearful, anxious kingdom because they know that their time is short. They know that they're not not gonna last very long because because God's going to destroy them completely. And the scripture says that that the demons at the at the name of Jesus, when they they believe God, but they 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 are in fear and trembling when they think upon God. Whenever God is brought, they're in fear and trembling because they know their days are coming to an end. And so that anxiousness about the kingdom of darkness, which which I think it in emboldens believers who understand that. That that emboldened the the um you know the Israelites when they found out, Joshua especially when they found out that they were they were in fear and they were anxious and they were dreading the uh, their you know the Israelites coming in because you can just if, if a if a enemy is so fearful of you it makes uh, easy work of them. And so here is this: God uses this prostitute who comes to faith in Christ, or I say in God, comes to faith in God, and because she comes in faith in God, God does a miracle. And, and she becomes actually the um, one of four Women in the line of Jesus, the king of kings. She becomes a great, 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 great grandmother of David. And uh, she marries a prince. It's a hallmark moment. And it's just this great story of of how God's redemption works and how God's heart works. And then the third chapter... um, Joshua is told by God to tell the, the the people to get ready, to to uh, sanctify themselves, to get um, to get ready to to set themselves apart, to put away all sin in their life, and to to be. Filled with faith as he tells them, we're going to go, you're going to see things you've never saw before. God is going to do great things among us. Get ready for that. And we talked about the importance of faith-filled expectation because we have a powerful, wonderful God. And that, that we miss out, I think, on God doing a lot of things in our life simply because we have very little expectation, you have very little expectation. You will have very little um, ability to see the powerful work of God. Every Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you should wake up every morning going, okay, Lord, I'm ready to see you in action today. Today I'm ready, Lord. Use me. Put me, you know, do something great in our lives today. Because he's a great God. And we have expectation like that. You're going to see more. You're going to hear from God. God is going to begin working in your life more. I hope you had that expectation as we talked about last week when you come to church. Did you this morning? Say, Lord, I just can't wait. Today's going to be a great day. I'm going to go to church today, and you're going to touch all our lives and minister to us, and pastor's going to speak a wonderful message. And you do that in faith, right? I just determine if the message isn't wonderful, it's your fault. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> he says, he says, he says, have this expectation. So we come to chapter 4. Here we are. Chapter 4, verse 1. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, Take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan uh, from, from the place where the priest, the, the, the feet stood firm, you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you, you you lodge tonight. So he says to them, "I want you to go in, find twelve stones." He tells the twelve tribes, one from each, the, the leaders, to go in, take the stones. You know they're not going to pick up a pebble. This is for, for their you know represents their tribe. They're going to grab a big stone. That was the, the whole point. Bring it to the to where they are lodged. And set it there, you know, across from the, the Jordan on the shore. They're, they're they're setting it there, and they're they're piling them up. But and then and then it says, um, then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel. One one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, okay, cross over before the ark of the Lord and Mr. Jordan. Tells them to do what God told him to do. To tell them to do. So what you see actually in this chapter is a lot of that. Where God tells Joshua to do something. Joshua tells the people to do something. And then it describes that the people do what God told them to do. Because that's the pattern a preparation for an army understand that these people are were they, they were slaves their, their their parents their parents had learned some warfare but none of them they, they all grew up in the in the desert they, they didn't have armor, armor they didn't have a, they didn't have all the weapons of warfare they didn't practice warfare they were just wanderers in fact you could say that they were kind of soft. They, they would, you, you would, I mean, certainly wandering in the desert would give you a certain amount of hardness. But they didn't have to farm. They didn't have to go hunt for their, their meals. God laid a Krispy Kreme donut on the ground every day. <laughs> and they just went, picked it up, and ate. And they had the benefits of not only something that tasted good like that, but it was actually healthy. So it tasted like uh, a Krispy Kreme donut and uh, it worked, you know, like broccoli or something. So (laughs) wouldn't that be great, right? (laughs) Have a Krispy Kreme donut and get healthier. But that's what, that was their life, you see. Now they're coming to promise land, They don't know anything about warfare. And God's preparing them. He's getting them ready as they cross over the Jordan. But He has them do a strange thing to go in, take uh, 12 stones, and put it on the shore. And then in verse six, it says, That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying what do these stones mean to you then you shall answer them that the waters of the jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the lord when it crossed over the jordan the waters of jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for memorial to the children of israel and the children of israel did so just as joshua commanded and took the twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with him to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood and they are there to do this day. So this is what the priest said. The priest went, took 12 stones and put on the shore Joshua took 12 stones and put it in the middle of the Jordan before while it was still before the waters came back and set them up what for that if you're walking along you're on a camping trip and your children see it and go what's that you can tell them that is where God did a miracle that's where God did something incredibly special I saw it or down the road grandpa saw it or great grandpa saw it was right there when that happened and every tribe notice that all 12 tribes got to participate in this why because even though each tribe had different um, responsibilities in the collective they were all equal in the sight of God And that's true in our lives too. We might have different calls, we might have different giftings, but you know what? God asks each of us to set up the stones as a memorial. It also tells us how God, how is God concerned about the next generation. You know, our children are not second rate. Our children aren't just to be kind of put on the side while we do the serious work of the kingdom. Our children are to be brought into the understanding and the values of the things of God. And parents, you have such a responsibility. Notice that this was a tool that would be used primarily as as a as a tool to um, bring curiosity. You build the stones, why? In case one of them comes by and they're curious. That's I think one of the top on the, one of the top of the list of things that parents are to do. Christian parents are to, in fact, be good at helping our children to be curious about the things of God. We can participate in that in, in, in their lives, we can, we can bring curiosity. Because we have a family line too. They, they had their family line, guess what? It got put in the Bible. That's our family line. That's our family story. Our family story is in the Bible. Now, we have our own personal family stories as well. But our family story is in the Bible. The miracles of God. Oh, this happened to Abraham. This happened when Moses was around. This happened with Jacob. This happened with Elijah. This happened with, you know, Isaiah. This happened with, uh, you know, Paul the Apostle and Peter. And this is these stories. And we do well. Let me ask this one. Parents, do your children see you with an open Bible? What what stirs in them a curiosity for the things of God? Is it the conversations you have? Is it the life that you live? See, these, these... Parents who are setting up these stones, they don't have a very good story from their parents. Their parents didn't do well. Their parents were the ones who said, God, no, we're not going into the promised land. God had done all these miracles to bring them into the promised land, and they said, no way. In fact, their problem was simply this. They believed that they were grasshoppers. And they believed that there were giants in the land. And they believed that those giants were more powerful than their God. That's who, that, that was their faith. That, that was it practically worked out. And you think about their choice now as they're going into promised land. they're facing the same things that their parents were afraid of. Now they're going to face it. And they're going to have to make a choice themselves whether they're going to go into promised land. You know, people, some of the greatest men and women of God had parents who were ungodly. They had parents who didn't care about the things of God. Some of them had parents who acted like Christians but didn't live like Christians. They, they acted like it on Sunday when they went to church and got their kids all all cleaned up, but when they got there that was, that was the only time they acted like a Christian. And their, and, and, and their kids knew it. They knew that they were like that. But that didn't determine their response to God. Some people have parents like that, and they say, I don't want to have anything to do with God, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because my parents were like that. Other people who have the same kind of parents say, I... I It doesn't matter what my parents did. They were not good uh, Christians. They didn't follow the Lord. They acted like it. They were hypocrites. I'm not going to be one of them. I'm going to be the real deal. And I choose to follow Jesus with all of my heart and follow him honestly and with reality and raise my family. We see that, that, that. Those scenarios happen all the time. Some people just make excuses. The way my parents were will determine how I'm going to live out my life. And others say, I'm going to live out my life because I want a personal relationship with Christ myself. Now, if you're one of those rare people that had godly Christian parents who followed the Lord and and were real about their faith... You're blessed and you ought to thank God for that. But that doesn't determine who you're going to be either. You can glean from what they've taught you, but you make a choice. As it said, God, has, does, God does not have any grandchildren. There are no grandchildren. He only has children. Every generation has to make their own choice to follow Jesus. And you cannot use your parents as an excuse either way. In your life you make that choice yourself and let me tell you there is no excuse for not following christ because of what your parents did you choose you make the decision and you can follow jesus and you can become all that god wants because he cares about you individually in your following of christ and your determination To follow Jesus, I've seen some people who I know people in our church who had the most abusive. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to talk. I wouldn't want to tell you the stories. Most abusive parents who claim to be Christian, and you would think that after that they would just you know run from God and run from the church, and you know what? They're the most godly people. They love the Lord. They've chosen to serve Jesus. And, it, and, and they have been able to separate their parents' abuse from, from the true and living God and who he is and their walk with him. And I see them flourish. And I see their families flourish. And it's all changed. The direction of their family life has all made a change. Some of you are those people. You're, you know, you didn't have you know Christian family, you didn't have a godly family, but now you're changing the course of life, not just for you, but you're changing the course of the next generation and the generation after because you're making the right choices in how you're living out your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now It, it says in verse 13, now let me go in verse 12. It says, and the men of Reuben and men of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. Now, what happened is before they were they're getting into the promised land, and before they got there the first time, two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, said, Hey, this is nice. On this side of Jordan, it, it looks beautiful. We could, we could, I'd be happy just living here. I mean, I know God has promised land, but it couldn't be any better than this. So why don't we just see if we can stay here? We want to stay here. We don't want to go into promised land. And so they would ask God, they asked Moses says we want we want to stay here. We don't want to go across. But that wasn't God's will. it was his permissive will. You know, you know there is a permissive will of God, and there There is a perfect will of God. And the permissive will of God is, listen, people will live out their life not in, they're not looking for the perfect will of God. They're looking for the least stressed out, the least, the easiest way and see if they can can get to heaven still because that's kind of the ultimate only thing. Right? If we can get to heaven, and if I can do the least amount and still get there. Well, thankfully, we get there by the grace of God. It isn't by our work. So, a lot of people think that they could live out their life. Well, it's kind of like this. I have an easy chair. It's, it's you know, my kids know it's dad's chair. My grandkids know it's papa's chair. And they know... You don't sit in Papa's chair unless you want to fight. And so the boys will do that. They'll sit in the chair and they know they're going to wrestle, and I will kick them out of the chair, and, but they'll come back. But but it's my chair. And uh, my wife wants me to get a new one um, because it is dilapidated, it's falling apart, you know, it's stripping, it's, it's and she says it stinks. So. But it's my chair. I'll spray it, you know? <laughs> and I can sit in that chair. If I'm not careful, I can sit in that chair way too long. I can just kick back and just put, I, mindless. I can just put anything on. Television, I don't even have to watch it. I'm just, you know the feeling? Don't, don't do that right now in your chair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Some people live their whole life in the easy chair, their Christian life in the easy chair. Never stretch, never going beyond, never seeing what God has for them. You see that Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, those two and a half tribes, they went for the easy chair. But it wasn't the perfect will of God. Here's the problem with the easy chair. It isn't as easy as you think it is. And for them, not being in the perfect will of God, subjected them to being the first people attacked when the enemy would come from that side of the Jordan. In fact, they were harassed often because getting across the Jordan was a big chore and a big deal and if somebody came especially across the Jordan while the Jordan was full the armies could could rise up and get ready for them months in advance it would take so much time for an army to come by but they could come to the group on that side of the Jordan without too much interference they thought they were getting the easy chair but they weren't They were getting something much harder because they were not looking for the perfect will of God. Sometimes when we risk for God, it looks like it's the harder way, but actually, actually it's oftentimes the easier way, but it's not the most important thing, whether it's hard or easy. The most important thing is, is that you are doing what God wants you to do. I want to ask a question. Here's the question. When's the last time you got uncomfortable for God? When's the last time you risked for God? That's a convicting and can be a convicting question. Because many of us don't risk anything for God. Our life is pretty well it's Easy. It's not that easy is sinful. It's easy is not adventurous. I can tell you this: if you have not been risking for God, you live a boring Christian life. You you really are you're, you you know, you're just you're just boring. You get your feet up. You know, my kids, grandkids come over and I got my feet up. Papa, you want to play baseball? No. Want to play catch? No. Let's go kick the ball. Want to go outside? No. (laughs) Boring. We live a boring Christian life if you're not willing to stretch. God wants to stretch you. God wants to use you. God wants you to start thinking kingdom-mindedness. Kingdom-mindedly, you you have to start thinking, what are the things I could do? Get creative. God can give you creativity. How to use what you have for the kingdom's sake and be intentional about it. And sometimes it's risky. And I, I remember... I remember the very first time I was a young Christian and I knew this guy who loved to do street ministry and I thought, man, he's one of the most godly men I know. Seems like he'll do anything for Jesus, go anywhere for Jesus. And I asked him, I says, hey, I want to learn how to do that. So he comes and picks me up and takes me to Skid Row. And we're in the streets there. It is, that was not my easy (laughs) chair. And it was, there were crazy people. And they got in my face as I was trying to preach the gospel and hand out tracts, and they were right here, and their breasts smelt, and it was, oh. And I didn't, I didn't that wasn't pleasurable at all. And I'm handing out tracts, and then someone comes and, and starts crying, and they wanted help, and Jesus, and they got saved, and then another one came, and we saw people come to Christ, and, and I walked away. I remember driving back. And it was not comfortable. But when I was driving back, I felt so good. There was something of satisfaction in me that I had not felt before. That I knew I was risking for God. I was doing things. It's not like some people risk. Some people risk their life on a regular basis. One of the stories, and I always talking about how they set up stones for, for their children... To know that that's our responsibility too, and how we do that sometimes. And I always wanted my kids to have a um, to, to have godly heroes, especially as they became close to teenage years, and because uh, the world is so enticing, and the world throws out its heroes, and the heroes of the world are people you do not want your ch- children to follow. They're, they're more messed up than the average person out there. Most of those who are looked up to as heroes—the the musicians and you know the, the 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 actors and and the athletes that the world looks up to—they're just messed up people. So many of them. They they don't know how to live life. They can they can play a sport or they can play an instrument, but other than that, and we put them up in the, as pedestals. And I wanted to make sure my kids didn't do that i remember intentionally we would go to christian concerts not because i liked sitting and listening to some of these people that my kids liked i didn't like the music i was bored i wanted to put on my headphone and listen to my music i didn't like standing in line i didn't like paying the money You know why I did it? I wanted my kids to have an alternative in what they saw. People who are naming the name of Jesus. And I explained to them. I did that with sports, especially for my son. We would look and find Christian athletes. But always with this explanation. They live in a world that is very challenging living out their Christian life. Not all of them who name the name of Jesus will be able to follow through. But we're grateful and we pray for those who are, and I'm proud of those who stand up for Jesus, you know, in whatever endeavor, their sports or what have you. We did that. I would give intentionally work at giving my kids godly heroes. You know, there are men and women of God who have been have exemplified what it means to be. Truly courageous, truly courageous for in their life, and I would give them. I remember early on in my walk, somebody gave me a book by a man named Bruce olson Bruce was he got saved as a teenager, and in, in his story when I read, read the story, it was just it just it, it started um, awakening in me that v- adventurous attitude that was already in my life and so bruce um he was a teenager and at 19 years old bruce decided he was going to go on a mission field now he didn't know much his parents were not believers in fact they were antichrist. but he got became a christian early by the time he was 19 he said i'm going to go on a mission field didn't know where to go didn't know how to connect with any missionary organization. Just really kind of like I read the Bible. You go out and preach the gospel. He decided he was. He found that there was this tribe in Colombia that um, they were. They, they needed Jesus. They were a head-hunting tribe, and he decided he had some money from doing some work. Saved that money. Went to the airport. I mean, got a got an airplane ticket. Flew to Columbia, get this, doesn't know what's going on, gets on a train and eventually gets to, finds his way to the head heading tribe. When he shows up and is there and hoping for an ability, first of all, he did not even know the language, he's kind of learning, he wants to communicate the gospel, they spear him in the leg. Then they drag him to a hut and tie him down and leave him there without feeding him food or water for a while and just expecting that that will infect and will eventually kill him. But they didn't want to just kind of watch what was going on. This was a, a new thing, this white guy that came in. And so eventually he survives, preaches the gospel. That tribe gets, gets converted. Not only do they get converted, there's other tribes that become converted. And if you know his story, last time I found he's still alive. He's, a, he's, an, he's an older man, um, lived a rough life. Several years ago, um, I actually, the Reader's Digest had a story of, um, it said, Bruce Olson. And, you know, you read the book, but nobody heard anything about Bruce. What happened is Bruce got on Reader's Digest because he went missing. He was kidnapped. What had happened was too many of the cartels in Colombia and Venezuela had... um, that, that had got converted, and the 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 people in charge didn't like the fact that these people were getting converted because of Bruce's ministry, so they kidnapped them, and they were going to kill him. They t- they chained him up, and this would happen every day. They would uh, one of the guys would ha- had a I, I guess it would be a revolver, and he he did kind of a Russian roulette thing. Put in a put put in a bullet, spun it put it to his head, and pulled the trigger, and nothing would happen. And he kept doing this every day. And in the time, pretty soon, Bruce is sharing the gospel with these guys. And they start to come to Christ. And the story goes that eventually they let Bruce go, but before they did, the entire group, all these cartels, they were calling him Papa Bruce. He had won them over to Jesus. And he continues, as far as I know, still doing the ministry. That's a hero. I want my kids to know about heroes. One of my missionary friends, actually, I'll just tell you, John Dawson, you know John, many of you. um, He's been part of our, he's one of our missionaries, um, you know, head of YWAM and has had all this, well his son was and uh, his son tells a story too his son was um, k- kind of away kind of going, going sideways and he dis- so John decided to take his son on a missionary journey and they went to the Amazon to check up on a young man a young man in his early 20s who was out in the Amazon ministering running around in his loincloth with the rest and hunting and to get there you go through um, you, you, go, you go through land in which you, you have to sleep in the trees and you have to have uh, your, your gun at your neck just in case one of the cougars doesn't climb up and get you. And they go down the Amazon and all that goes along with it with his son till they find this guy who isn't there at first but then he shows up in his loincloth cuz he had gone hunting with the rest of the guys preaching the gospel. His son came back life changed with a new hero. Cuz see, the gangs in his community had become the gang leaders in, in his community had become his hero. Now they're nobody. The only people that really mattered was guys like that. That's a hero. That's somebody I can look to. That's somebody that has courage. That's somebody that's amazing. Folks, we need to give our kids those stories. We need to help them see who are the real heroes in in life. And we need to make sure that we're not any longer just living our life in our easy chair we need to do some risking and when i say that i don't mean okay hey i I went bungee jumping wow awesome that's good man that's that's cool that's cool you know i i i uh i jumped off a cliff into the water and i you know that's great i'm not talking about that kind of risk i'm talking about a risk for the kingdom talking about risking for God. I'm talking about maybe going on that short-term mission trip. You know, doing something you've never done. Maybe a third world country. Maybe getting out of your comfort zone and taking on a ministry that you know is going to stretch you and you need God. Because if you don't need God, if you don't do something that you need God, you'll never see God in action. And that was the problem going on with this two and a half tribes. See, they sent their men across the Jordan. They got, you know what the men got to see? The soldiers? They got to see the river, you know, jacked up. Amazing. They saw, they saw God. They saw them walking on dry ground in the midst of this torrent of river. They saw a miracle. But their children didn't. Their wives didn't. They were back there. They weren't on the trip. Because they had decided to live in comfort. And I can tell you, if you live in your easy chair, your, your children will never see the rocks piled up. They won't be the ones asking the question. They won't be the ones that will see the miracle of God, because you never are in a place where you need God to do a miracle. Okay, maybe you'll see God do something to make sure you know you pay the next mortgage, or you know you, your car gets fixed, or maybe you know those kinds of things. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about seeing God in action in ways that you could never imagine. It will only happen if you, you choose to get out of your easy chair. Now, I told the first service because this is where I went on the first service. It was not my message. Message completely different. We were going another direction with covering two chapters and the Holy Spirit had something for somebody and I felt, and I went this way. I went, I went in the back and say, how can I duplicate that? I don't even remember what I said. And Carol said, well, it'll be different, but it'll be the same thing for the right people. I believe people here, you needed to hear that message today. Some of you, some of you, I hope, I hope you'll get out of your easy chair for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that we get to Lord, we get to be the kinds of people who see you in action and that, Lord, you sustain us. Lord, as, uh, as the, the priests put their foot in the river and you had already stopped it up hours before up the river, Lord, I thank you that you did the miracle before they ever saw the miracle. And I believe that there are people here that you are doing a miracle while they're waiting for the miracle. You've already done it upstream. And that there are people right now as they're by faith grabbing onto your promises that God, they're, they're ready to see what Lord you want to accomplish on their behalf. And I pray Lord you'll touch their lives. And then for any who've never come to Christ, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to just say to you, Jesus is ready to receive you. If you'll come to him right now and just say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe you died for my sins, you were buried, and you conquered death. And Jesus, I ask that you would cleanse my soul from all of my sin and help me to follow you. I choose you, Jesus, as my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, I'm 12 minutes over. I know because the timer tells me. But if you would like to remain for communion, the ushers are ready. And if you need to go, feel free to do that. Will you do that? And uh, while they're handing them those out, those are remaining, we'll just worship, and then we'll take communion together, okay?
1: Fallen. His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse upon Final breath he gave as heaven looked away. The Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell. Forever. The Savior of the world was fallen His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse upon us Son of God was laid in darkness, a battle in the grave, the war on death was wage the power of hell forever broke.
0: Also got out of his easy chair. Actually, he got off his kingly throne, came to earth for us. Wrist. got uncomfortable for you and me. So we celebrate that with thanksgiving to the Lord in remembrance of what he accomplished. Because on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given to you. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice you made, the beating you took, the nails, crown of thorns, the piercing, the beating. Lord, thank you. You did it for us. As you took the sin, our sin, upon yourself, we receive with grateful heart. then he took the cup and he says this is a cup of the new covenant of my blood as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you show the Lord's death until he comes Lord thank you for your blood that washes us clean thank you Jesus we receive
2: to share Bless church as you go. Happy Fourth of July. He's alive. Walking freedom today. the